We've got such a loving group that it's hard to break you guys up during fellowship. It's good to see everybody again this morning. Um, we're going to continue. Donald preached a, a, a sermon last week on now faith. And I want to continue uh, on the subject of faith. Um, and I want to teach on uh, making Jesus marvel. And we'll talk more about that as we get into it. You know, I kind of want to give a couple of praise reports. Sometimes I like giving praise reports. And, and in church, you know, and the way we got it set up, sometimes I feel like, uh, like on those lab nights, people would get up and they would tell, give testimonies and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just not conducive for a Sunday morning service. But man, it's good to hear what God is doing, isn't it? Uh, you know, so we were teaching on, on healing um, uh, on, on Tuesday at the lab night. And I will tell you, you know, healing is a very difficult subject. And, and it's, it's difficult for a lot of reasons. But, uh, but we taught on that. And, and it's always one of the things that when I discuss, I get the most questions back. And it's usually because when it comes to what the Bible teaches, we experience something differently. And, and I understand that. So, you know, if you want to go and listen to that, you can go and listen to it. But uh, one of the things that we've been, we've been praying about, and I want you to continue to pray about, is uh, uh, baby Kimber, Tara, Tara Strange's daughter. She has been really struggling with a sickness for a while, and they've had to be at uh, the children's hospital so many different times going back because she just couldn't digest food. And they had finally decided, well, maybe we, we think she's got Crohn's disease, so we're going to test. Of course, we kept praying. And the results came back for that, that she does not have Crohn's disease. They don't, they still don't know exactly what's going on, but she is getting better day by day. And she just, she was gaining no weight. And, and Tara sent me a message yesterday that said she had gained 11.6 ounces. And she, she celebrated so loudly in the, in the doctor's office that the woman got scared, you know, because she got, gave a, a, a shout of praise in the doctor's office. And there's nothing like a good shout of praise in the doctor's office. Uh, but God moved in that, and, and, and uh, you know, Justin, he, he, he shared with me a praise report the other day. He's an occupational therapist, and he deals with people that are dealing with different injuries and things like that. But there was a lady who had had a, a fracture in her shoulder, and he said he just felt led to pray for her. And so he, he prayed for her, and she had a fracture in her shoulder, and, and she went and got this thing tested and, and looked at and x-rays, and the x-rays came back positive. She had, no, she had no fracture. It was completely healed. So she got so excited that she was like, I hope, won't you guys come and hold a service out here at my, at my house or our campground or whatever it was? And, and the Lord moved in that. So, and then Jeremy yesterday gave me another praise report about how his, his wife's aunt, if I'm not mistaken, she, she was at the hospital and... Uh, she was having different issues. I can't remember exactly what they were, but they had, they had seen some spots in her bone and they, they had believed that it was cancer and she was just really not doing well. She was looking very unhealthy, not feeling well. And they went and prayed for her and, and Jeremy had prayed for her and different people had prayed for her and the results came back. She was cancer free uh, and, and she was healed and she got to go home. And so, listen... Just because we don't see things happening all the time the way that we want to see them happening does not mean that we give up. Because we live in a fallen and a broken world. And I'll tell you, when you start talking about faith, it becomes, it becomes very challenging. Even what I'm going to teach about today, I, I know that when I teach what I taught on Tuesday, if you go back and listen to that, about healing, or I teach a message like I'm teaching today, it so hits a, a wound in our own hearts because of our experiences that we immediately respond with questions and say, but how can that be, Clay? 
How can that be? How can that actually be? Because that's not what I'm experiencing. And man, sometimes we have lived in such a broken and a fallen world that it's actually got us a little bit bitter and it's caused us to move into a place where it's very difficult for us to have faith moving forward. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because I've prayed for things, man, and they've not happened. And I believe God for people, and they've not gotten set free. And I've believed for, for miracles and different things like that. And, and, and my experience doesn't always line up with God's Word. But I have to guard and protect my heart, and I have to go back to the Word in order to pursue what God says and promised that He would do. Amen. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about making Jesus marvel. Uh, but let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. And I want to read just a few verses and then, and then I'll start out and we'll, we'll go verse by verse through this thing. But Matthew chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters uh, in Scripture. And sometimes whenever I'm dealing with something personally, I'll just go through and reread that chapter. But Matthew chapter 8, uh, this is a story that I love beginning at verse uh, 5. Through 13, let's just read it together. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word is... God able to cleanse us this morning, it's able to wash us, and it is a seed that can be planted in our hearts that is able to save our very souls, to save our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, and even, God, our desires and our will. And so we pray that your word would wash this morning, that it would be planted in our hearts, that it would transform us and make us more like you, Jesus. We want to know your thoughts. We need to hear your voice. I pray, God, that you cause the words that I speak to be from your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just like I said, I believe that faith is being fought against maybe more than anything in our world today. Really, truly, not only believing who God is and that He is, right, but that, but that He is at work in our world, He's at work in our lives, and Satan is fighting relentlessly. Our, the adversary of our souls is fighting relentlessly to move us into a place where we begin to doubt whether or not God is even at work anymore in our midst, whether he's able to do anything at all, whether he's able to transform us, whether he's able to change our society and the world around us. And it is being attacked and our faith is being attacked. And oftentimes, even in the church, I find that we start to slowly move back into a place where we are more full of doubt than we are faith. We question whether or not God's going to do anything in Clay County. We question whether or not God's going to do anything in our world. And when we look at the world, we continue to believe, man, it's just going to get worse and it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. See, folks, that's not necessarily faith. 
And we know according to Scripture that even in the last days, we know that perilous times will come. But see, the last days have been going on according to the Scripture for the last 2,000 years. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it's not been that great for the past 2,000 years. In our culture, you could even argue that in some ways, what's going on in America actually makes what we're living in a better time than most times in the past. You have to look at history to begin to understand and see that, you know what, really, it looks like we're living in bad times, but they're not near as bad as we imagine that they are. And we still have a God that is able to do things beyond our ability to ask or even think. And it's at time that we begin to understand that God is able and desires for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not to sit back and say, well, it's just going to get bad. And we just are waiting on God to come in and save us out of this destruction. No, he sent us here to bring change while we are here. He sent us here to believe him for transformation, to believe him for change while we are still here in the midst of this darkness. Now, in order to, to build the kingdom of God, the one thing that we've got to have is faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, Donald talked about it last week. Without blank, it's impossible to please God. He says without faith, it is impossible to be pleasing to God. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life, man, that is pleasing to God. That when he sees my life, he says, my son, you know what? Even in some pretty difficult circumstances, at the end of the day, he believes me. At the end of the day, he believes I'm going to come through. At the end of the day, he says that he knows who I am and he knows even when it gets bad that I've got his back and God smiles because he says that is pleasing to him. And I want to please God. Jude 20 says, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So do you know that faith is something that can be developed and something that can be grown in your life? I want my faith to grow. I want my faith to flourish. I want to get to the place where my faith is so... I told people the other day, you know, sometimes people say, well, Clay teaches about stuff and he's just weird. I said, I already knew that. You didn't have to tell me I'm weird. I've already settled that. I'm weird, okay? And I'm going to believe God. I want to get even weirder for Jesus. I want to be that guy that believes God for such crazy stuff that when people show up, they're like, man, this makes me uncomfortable, this guy's believing for radical things. He's making me uncomfortable because I just don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. My experience has said different. I don't, I don't know about that. Listen, I, that's the only way that you're going to grow in faith. Your faith has to be challenged. Your faith has to be stretched. So if I say something this morning that challenges your faith, allow it to stretch it rather than retreat and say, I just don't know if that's possible. Let your faith be stretched. Let your faith be challenged because expectation determines your experience. You can put that up there on the board there. Maybe you can write it down if you want to. It's a very simple principle. People say it all the time. Expectation determines your experience. Now, what we do is we actually turn that around and we allow our experience to determine our expectation. We turn that totally around and we allow our experience to determine our expectation. Because I prayed one time and it did not happen, well, now I don't expect God to do anything because that one time I prayed, it didn't happen. And now my experience is now determining my expectation. But God says, that's not how it is. You need to go back to the word of God. You need to see what God says in his scripture. Let that stand true and say, yeah, I had a bad experience. Something terrible happened in my life. I was wounded. We prayed and it didn't happen. But God's word still says that he's able to do the, do the thing that he said he was going to do. And so I'm no longer allowing this to determine my experience. I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to be expecting God to do what he says he can do in his word. And I got to move into that place. See, we can see God do as much or as little as we are willing to give him the raw material of our faith to work with. 
We can see him do, we can see God do amazing things in our community, or we can see him do very little. And it's really determined based upon the, the faith that we are willing to say, God, here's the level of faith that I'm willing to believe you for. Here's what I'm willing to agree with you about. And that is what's going to base whether or not he does certain things in our life and in our world. In Psalm 78, we've been talking about Israel trying to come into the promised land, the promises of God the past few weeks. Psalm 78, I love these verses. Verse 41 and 42, it says, yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power the day when He redeemed them from the enemy. They tempted Him again and again and they limited the Holy One of Israel. I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. How many times do you believe, I ask myself this, God, how many times have I limited what you were able to actually do in my life and in the lives of people around me? How many times did I forget your power, forget what you've done in the past, forget what you brought me from, forget the miracles that I've seen you do. I forgot all of it. And they did it too. God did miracles in their midst. He split the Red Sea so they they could walk over on it on dry ground. And he began to defeat their enemies from before them. But they did not believe him. And God says that they could not enter into the promises because of their unbelief. And he says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Folks, we have got to get a place where we take the lid off of what God can do in our midst. We got to get to a place where we say, no longer will I keep God in this box. He is bigger than my doctrine. He's bigger than my denomination. He's bigger than what my pastor taught me when I was a boy. God is bigger than any man that has ever taught anything. And I've got to take the lid off of his capabilities. I've got to no longer place a limit on what God is able to do. Because see, we, we begin to not believe and it grieves the heart of God and we can no longer limit him. But see, Jesus, there are places in scripture where Jesus was basically astonished. That word marvel, it means to be astonished, just confounded, wowed by what was actually taking place. And, and Jesus, was he marveled at two different things. He marveled when people had radical faith when they really shouldn't have. They had radical faith when it looked impossible. And he also marveled when people didn't believe and they had every reason to believe. It was all hinging upon whether or not people believed or didn't believe. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, we read this story in verse 5 and 6. Let's go through it again. It says, now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now, this man, this centurion calls Jesus Lord from the beginning, which means that he is a believer. And I believe that to some degree, he probably believes what we believe that, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And through Jesus, all things were created. And he sees this man, and I believe there's at least something in his heart where he begins to believe, you know what? This guy's not just a regular dude. There's something more to this guy that I don't fully understand. But you know what? I'm willing to believe that he is Lord of all creation, that he didn't just come up and show up. He's not a created being, but he is the creator. And he confesses him as Lord. And the scripture says that if you confess him as a Lord, you shall be saved. So this man is a believer and he comes to Jesus and he says these things. And in verse seven, it says, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. You know, Jesus never even hesitates whenever somebody comes to him, whenever they're tormented, when they're dealing with some kind of disease, when they're dealing with some kind of demonic oppression, that he never hesitates. And that line right there allows me to understand Jesus's heart. I will come 
and heal him. I'll go to your house right now, centurion, and I will come and I will heal your servant who's been tormented, who's been broken down, broken down. Because I, I, here's what I under, here's what we believe and understand. Sometimes people struggle with who God is and what he's willing to do, what he wants to do in our lives. And Jesus comes and reveals the father's heart. And we say this all the time, but it is something that needs to get rooted in your heart because your picture of God, if in some way your picture of God the Father does not look like Jesus, it is wrong. Okay? That's a simple statement, but it is a very important statement. If somehow your picture of God the Father is different than Jesus in nature and character and what he's willing to do, then your picture of God is wrong. It's flawed. It's broken. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says in John 1.18 that no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him to us. Jesus reveals to us what the Father is like. We'd all been blinded to what the Father is like. And so even before this happens, there was a leper, and, and, and I need you to understand this, because according to the Jewish law, this leper was unclean. He wasn't even allowed around in public, and he comes to Jesus, and he begins to doubt God's willingness to heal him. So he bows down at his feet and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. You can deliver me. And Jesus reaches out and touches him, which breaks the law because you're not supposed to touch a leper. But he touches him and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, when he says, I am willing, I told him uh, Tuesday night that there's a Greek word there. It's called thalo. And it does not just mean I'm willing. It means it is my will. And it has a future tense, which means not only is it my will, but it will always be my will because I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. There will never be a day that you come to me and ask me, Lord, are you willing to do this for me? Are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to deliver me? Are you willing to set me free? He is always going to say to you, it is my will. Now we say, but Clay, that does not make sense because sometimes we come to Jesus, it seems, and things don't happen. Now, I, I, again, I don't understand all the mysteries of the heavenly realms. I don't understand the mysteries of unbelief and forgiveness in our hearts and how angels and demons work. I do know that when we pray, we don't see everything happen the way that we want it to happen. But Jesus taught us about per persistence in prayer. He taught us about believing him even when we don't see the breakthrough. And sometimes you've got to press through and believe that God is still good and he still wants to bring healing and deliverance and freedom even when you don't see it happening right now that's what faith is faith doesn't pray one prayer and give up faith prays one prayer and says it's not here yet but but by God's word it will be here and it is here even now and that's why I'm stepping into it faith moves you forward beyond the obstacle Faith says just because it's not here right now does not mean because I don't focus on what I see I focus on the unseen and I will hang on until it comes it is his will he wants to bring these things into our lives, but we struggle so badly with it. And he says, it is my will. I talked about how people today, they write, write, write books on 33 reasons why people aren't healed. I don't know about you, but I don't need my doubt to be fueled. I don't need my doubt to be fueled. I don't want a book on 33 reasons why people aren't healed because in Scripture, he gives no reasons on why they aren't. He only gives reasons on why they are. He wants you to focus on feeding your faith, not your doubts. You can't live a Christian life while feeding your doubts. I told that, I said that, I said that Thursday where, or, or Tuesday where somebody had written a book, 33 Reasons Why God Doesn't Heal, and Jordan Adams said, you know what, God wrote a book that has 39 reasons why he does. Because Jesus was beaten with 39 stripes on his back, and his blood was shed for you, and by his stripes you were healed.
He wrote a book with 39 reasons why you can be saved, why you can be delivered, why you can be healed, why you can be set free. And you know, we live in the already, I talk about this, we live in the already, but not yet tension of sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't see the breakthrough come because it's already breaking in. And we do see it sometimes, just like with these praise reports that we gave earlier. We see God breaking in amongst us, but sometimes it doesn't happen and it's not yet. So, but here's what you need to understand is that it does come first. It is more important for a person to be restored in their spirit than it is in their body. Amen. Because if they are restored in their spirit, guess what? They are guaranteed by faith, a glorified body in which when they die, they will, have a, they will never taste sickness again. They'll never taste death again. They will be set free and they will experience healing. So sometimes we see it happen and we are to pursue it. But here's what we are not supposed to do is take some doctrine of man where we just move into this reserved place where we never pursue God for any breakthrough and we're just waiting on the Lord to come back. Now, God says, you are my church and you need to press forward. You need to believe you need to occupy until I come, man. And I know it's difficult because I've prayed for things and they never moved. And I've prayed for things and they never happened. And I went to God over and over again. And I said, God, I'm about to give up on this stuff. I'm about to quit teaching this stuff. And he said, son, you need to move into a place where you don't allow bitterness to get in your heart because of what you failed to see. You have got to stand up and you've got to believe what my word says in the face of every obstacle. He says, because if you get contaminated with doubt, you're going to contaminate the people that you speak to with doubt. And they're going to get a flawed view of who I am. And they're going to question whether or not I can do anything in their lives. Y'all feel me this morning? This is a big deal for us. Faith is a big deal. So, so he gets to this place and in verse 8, listen what the centurion says. The centurion answered and said, Lord, now Jesus says, I'm just going to come to your house and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He says he's not worthy. Now, one of the reasons he says he's not worthy, and I love what Jesus does here, because in Jewish culture at the time, Jews looked at Gentiles as unclean. Anybody who was not a Jew, who didn't, who, who didn't believe in Yahweh, who was not born of Jewish descent, he believed that they, they believed that they were unclean. So this, this centurion, he believes in God. He believes in Yahweh. And he now even sees Jesus working and he believes in Jesus. But he knows, man, Jesus is a Jew. If he comes up under my roof, that's going to make him unclean. He don't want to come up under my roof. So, so I got to take it a step further with Jesus. He says, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come up under my roof. I know who I am. I'm a centurion. I'm a Roman soldier. And Romans had come in and occupied. And listen, there was wars going on. There were revolts going on between Rome and between Israel at that, that time. And ultimately, it was under Pontius Pilate, the, the, the Roman governor, that Jesus was crucified. So you see that conflict between Gentiles and between Jews. And this guy was not a Jewish man. He wasn't raised, learning the Bible, learning the Torah. He comes from a place where there are multiple gods. He is a pagan. He actually even calls emperor God with a lowercase g. And, and he comes down, he says, but I'm believing this dude. He said, but you ain't got to come up under my roof. He says, only say the word and he shall be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but that's messed up because if Jesus, look, if Jesus says, hey, man, I'll come to your house. I'll heal. I'll heal your servant that's at the house sick. I'll be like, come on, let's go. Because as far as I know, as far as I know, based on what I've seen, he has to actually physically touch the person for something to happen. As far as I know, that's all I've seen up to this point. That's all he's seen. How does he even know that this is going to work? How does he know and believe, man, this is actually going to work? And he says, only speak a word. 
See, here's how he knows because he teaches a lesson on authority. Here's what he says in verse 9. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He says, I understand authority. I understand that you are the master and the commander of the universe. I understand that in the beginning when you spoke and said stars, stars begin to spread throughout the galaxy. I understand that when you spoke and you said waters, waters begin to cover the earth and the spirit moved. He said, I understand that as the creator of the universe, all you've got to do is speak a word. All you've got to do is speak a word. And I know that my servant will be healed. You don't even have to go over there and touch them. And he begins to move beyond in faith. And he teaches a lesson on authority. He says, look, I understand authority. A centurion had 100 soldiers under them. And he could tell 100 soldiers, hey, go over here and do this. And they would do it or they would be killed. Amen. And so he would tell him, he said, when I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. He understood authority. And see, one thing that we don't understand in the Christian church is authority on multiple levels. We don't understand that God places people in authority over us that we are to submit to. Sometimes even when maybe necessarily, matter of fact, a lot of times when we don't agree with them. Because there's something about coming under that authority. He says, I understand that authority. But also what you got to understand about Jesus is that he had a different kind of authority. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he would get up and teach. And it was said that everybody would be astonished because he didn't teach just like the other religious people. He taught as one having authority. And what he would do is he would speak to the demons and they would go. He would speak to sickness and it would leave. Matter of fact, a storm would come up and he would rebuke the storm and it would be calm. Why? Because he was standing in his authority as the son of God. And when he was standing in that authority, here's how you need to understand that, is that he brought his kingdom. Jesus brought his kingdom, and he's enforcing the rule of another kingdom. Right now we live in the world, and we live in this world, and in this world there is a kingdom of darkness at work, and we see all kinds of wickedness and pain and torment going on. But Jesus came not with the kingdom of darkness, but with the kingdom of God, and he was enforcing another law. See, when that centurion walked around, he had maybe, it's kind of, I, I use the story, I use the, the analogy of a state police officer. There are laws in Kentucky. And when the state police officer comes up, because he has a badge right here, see, he has the authority to arrest me. Why? Because he is enforcing the laws of our state. As a Christian, see, you are now in Christ. And he says all authority has been given to him. And now you are in him. So guess what? You are clothed with Christ. That means that now you are his ambassador sent to enforce the authority of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Does that make sense to you this morning? Every now and then just amen me and make sure that, that you let me know that you understand what I'm saying. Or if you don't, you can just go, huh. <laughs> if you don't, you can do that and then I'll know. See, we have got to step into that place of authority where we understand. But see, by faith, Donald preached it last week, uh, Hebrews eleven three. By faith, we understand that everything that is created is made by things that are not seen because it was made by the word of God. When, when God spoke, he didn't even have any material to speak to. He spoke and it came into existence. And Mark chapter 11, Jesus teaches the same principle of faith. He's walking with his buddies, his disciples, and he sees this fig tree and the fig tree ain't got no fruit on it. And he speaks to it and he says, no more fruit's going to be on you from here on out for forever. And he walks on by. And then they go and do a few things. They come back by. The disciples are walking by and they look at the fig tree. They say, man, that thing's withered up. They said, Jesus, did you see this fig tree? That you, you said something to the other day? It's withered up, man. What's up? And Jesus turns to them 
And he says, have faith in God. If you read it in the Greek, it, it actually reads, have the faith of God. The same kind of faith that God had when he spoke the world into existence. When he spoke that world into existence, then he said, he said I created you in my image. I need you to learn the power of the spoken word. Somebody amen me this morning. I need you to understand the power of the spoken word. What you speak out of your mouth, there is life and death in the power of your tongue. He says, only say a word and I know that my servant shall be healed. What you speak out of your mouth is going to release God's power in different ways. And, and so he says, have the faith of God for verily I say unto you, if you shall say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but you shall believe that the things which you say shall come to pass. You shall have whatever you say. I read that the first time I said, Lord, that's ridiculous. I say things all the time that don't happen. But he's teaching you on how to develop your faith. Just because you say, look, because I could go out here to a mountain right now and say, hey, mountain, move. Get out of here. And I've never seen a mountain move. So he can't actually be talking about moving physical mountains. He's talking about any obstacle that is in your way from the will of God coming to pass in your life according to the word of God. And he's saying, when you see those obstacles, don't just look at them and say, well, God must not, this must not be God's will. No, speak to those things, the word of God. And he says, when you stand praying, anything you ask for, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. And he's trying to get you to the place where even when you don't see it, even when you don't know it, he's saying, this is how it really works. Because I spoke to that tree and you saw what happened. That thing was cursed. And that means that you can speak to sin in your life. You can speak to sickness in your life. You can speak to these things in your life and you can begin to curse them by the power of the spoken word. Now we teach that. We teach that, man. And people I, immediately, they just receive it. And they're like, I don't know about that. Sounds a little bit too far-fetched, Clay. Sounds a little bit weird. I'm only teaching what Jesus said. If you shall speak unto this mountain and say, be removed and cast in the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that the things that you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatever you say. And when you stand praying and asking, believe that you receive whatever you ask and you shall have it. That's what he said. He was teaching them how to grow in the faith of God, to pray and believe, to receive, to step out, to, to step out on that spoken word. And that's when we speak sometimes. Here's what you, you got to understand. You don't have to beg God to do a miracle in your life. He wants to. He's your father who loves you. He desires to give good gifts to your children. He does not want you to beg him for it. He wants you to ask, receive it, and then speak it into existence. That's how prayer works. I ask, I receive, I believe, and then I begin to speak it into my life. And so here's what he says in verse 10. I love what, and when Jesus heard this, when he heard the centurion have this, have this kind of faith, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. He says, look, I've not found. Now notice, if you say I've not found something, what were you doing? You were looking for something, weren't you? What is Jesus looking for? He's looking for somebody that is going to believe him in a radical way. That's the one thing that he is believing for. And see, here's what I want. Here's the second point I want to give you is faith is the currency. It's the one currency that Jesus accepts. He's not going to, Jesus is not going to accept your excuses. He's not going to accept your self-pity. 
He's not even going to accept your, your, your past experiences. He wants to heal your wounded heart from your past experiences. But what he wants from you is faith that says, I still believe you, Jesus, in spite of what's happened in the past. I still believe you. And he accepts that one currency of faith in your life. He says, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. Now, notice another thing that he says, because he says some sketchy things, and anytime Jesus says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's scary, right? Anytime you read that in the Bible, you're like, oh, daggone it, Jesus, everything sounded real good until you said that stuff about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Now, what is he saying? He's trying to teach them that there is a reality that when you move away from God, you're headed in a direction, and to be away from God is to be in a state of being that causes mourning, weeping, and gnashing of teeth, torment. To live without God is torment, folks, period. And in eternal, to be without God, that is a never-ending state of being, okay? And he's saying that, but here's what he's saying. You can't just come. I don't accept what you used to be because he knows. He says, I've not found so great a faith in Israel. These are the people of God. They should believe me. He says, and I've not found it among the church. I've not found it among the people who should be believing God most. And he says, basically, in the end, you're not going to be able to come to God and say, you know what? I was seventh generation Pentecostal holiness. My daddy was preacher. His daddy was a preacher. You ain't going to be able to bring any of that to God because he doesn't accept your lineage. He accepts your faith. He doesn't accept how many times you went to church. He accepts your faith. Of course, faith will often bring you to church because faith brings you into a position of heart that you believe that you want to be with the people of God, seeking God together in unity. And so he says, I don't accept any of those things, but I accept this faith. And he says, amen. I want to pray prayers that when I pray them, Jesus says, amen. You know what I'm talking about? When I get done and Jesus just hears my prayer and he says, amen to that, brother. I ain't even got to say nothing. I ain't even going to add nothing on to that. That's a real prayer. Amen to that. That's what he says to this, to this prayer. And listen, as soon as it does, he says, as you have believed, so be it unto you. Notice that. How can you believe? The measure that you're willing to believe is what Jesus wants to do in your life. And see, I'm going to give you the next point. The riskiest thing you can do is play it safe. The riskiest thing you can do is play it safe. Charles Spurgeon said, if you believe Christ a little, he will bless you a little. If you believe him up to the hilt, he will bless you to the full. Your faith shall never outrun the manifestations of divine love. Are you believing God for a little or are you believing him for a lot? What are you believing him for? The problem with praying small prayers is that you might just get what you ask for. Amen. You might just get what you ask for if you pray, pray small prayers. A lot of times we pray things that we could already do. Lord, help me preach this sermon this morning. He's like, you could do that without me, really. It may not be effective, but you could get up. Lord, help me preach this sermon. No, God, when I preach, let your word be effective in hearts. Let your word transform this person. Let somebody begin to believe like they never have and do a miracle in their midst because God, I can only speak by faith, but I'm praying that as I speak, God, you release your power in their hearts and something is changed in them because I can't do that. I can't change people, God, but you can. And you're beginning to pray for things that are beyond your own capabilities. And the next point is that faith is the key that unlocks God's power. You know, on, on our phones nowadays, Andrea will be messing around on my phone or something like that, and, and she'll be like, here, give me your thumbprint. You know what I'm talking about? And I'll, re I'll reach over and put my thumb on it. And that thing's unlocked. She can do whatever she wants to on my phone after that. See, faith is the key 
that unlocks God's power. It's the thing that begins to put put the key in the ignition and cause his power to begin to be released. Habakkuk 2.4 says that the just shall live by faith. Any saved person, if you're a Christian here this morning, what God does in your life and the great things that God is going to do through you is going to be through your faith, through you believing God. The transformation of your life, you going into what God's called you to be, it is going to be you taking a radical step of faith whenever you don't even know that there's a step there in front of you. Somebody amen me. Some of y'all are taking steps. I'm telling you right now. Some of you, I know some of you, you're just like, you're in that one. You're like, oh. But some of you are taking steps. Right now, God is saying, I need you to take a step in this direction. And, I, and you're going to step out and he's going to be waiting there for a path for you to step into. And you've got to learn to live by faith. Ephesians 2, 8. Now, this is a very popular verse. For grace, you have been saved through faith. For, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Grace is the means and faith is the channel. And put it this way. Everything God does in your life, he doesn't do it because you earned it. He doesn't do it because you deserved it. He doesn't do it because you're a really good person. He does it by grace. That means that you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And you are not a good enough person to have it. We're all bad people at the end of the day when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God. He's the one who makes us good. But he isn't sitting there saying, you know what, Clay? He's, he's, he's been to church a little bit more than, 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 than uh, Billy over here. So, so, so then we're going to bless Clay just a little bit more. That ain't how it works. It comes by grace through faith. It is undeserved blessing and favor that comes simply because I'm willing to believe God for who he is and believe that it's not about how good I am, it's about how good he is. Amen. Now here's something that you got to understand is this word, been saved. When we talk about being saved, when we talk about being saved, what we really have taught in the American church for many years, and it was taught differently in the beginning of the church, is that being saved means you go to heaven when you die. That is a benefit of being saved, but it is not what being saved is about. Somebody amen me right quick. I know that's hard for us. It's not about just going to heaven when you die because God, to be saved means that you are a new creation in the here and now on earth. And your goal is to actually bring heaven to earth through your lifestyle and demonstrate that until Jesus does return. And guess what? When he does return, you're not just going up into a place of clouds. He's coming back to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we will rule and reign with him forever. And her, heaven and earth will become one. You ain't just going to be like floating around in the clouds for eternity swimming. Most people, when they think about heaven, that's what they think. Heaven is not that. Heaven is when you begin to see God's love permeating all of creation. Permeating our soul, transforming who we are. When Jesus returns, we're going to rule and reign. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, world without end, amen. Oh, it's the end of the world. This world, it will end in the sense that we know it, but it will never end. It will only be renovated, transformed, and brought into new creation life the same way that we are a new creation. Man, I don't know about you, that fires me up. Somebody said, what are we going to do, man, in heaven? It just seems like it's going to be boring. There ain't going to be nothing to do. Let me tell you something. You're going to be ruling and reigning on a renovated earth where there is no hatred, where there is no lust, where there is no pain, where there is no sickness, where there is no disease, and we will all be worshiping one God together, and you will have plenty to do. You can trust me on that. Somebody, somebody amen me now. I don't know. It gets me excited. You might as well be too. So this word saved, it means more than just going to heaven when you die. Here's what it means. Put it up there. Sozo. 
This is, the, this is the Greek word for being saved in the Bible. Here's what it means. It means saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, restored, made whole. So yes, it does mean we get to go see Jesus when we die. It absolutely does. It does mean that. That's one part of being saved is being saved from your sin. But let's look at what Jesus says when he uses this word because he uses this word all the time. In Matthew 9, 22, there was a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. She says, if I just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I know that I'll be made well. And when she touches the hem of his garment, immediately she is healed. It goes through her body. Jesus feels it. And he turns around and he says to this, Jesus turned around. He said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. The Greek word for made you well is sozo. In other words, your faith has saved you. Did she go to heaven? Was she just translated up into heaven? No, she was healed from a physical sickness. And the woman was made well, sozo, from that hour. She was healed from that hour. The next place that Jesus uses this word, now there's a lot, I'm just taking a few, is in Mark 10, verse 51. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Next verse says, Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Do you see that? We are saved by grace through what? Faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And when we talk about saved, we're not just talking about going to heaven when you die. You're talking about God putting heaven in you right now. We're talking about you being changed right now. We're talking about God ministering to you right now. Now, some of you, you do need to take that first step of faith and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you really do. And there's a place that Jesus comes to. If you read, let's read Luke 17, 19. There's a place where 10 lepers, they come to Jesus and they said, Lord, have mercy on us. And he said, go your way and show yourself to the priests. And it says, as these 10 lepers walked, as they walked, they were healed from their leprosy. See, they took that step of faith. They weren't healed and then they went. They went and as they went, they were healed. They went and as they went, they were healed. Not waiting till I get healed, then I'll go. I'm going and as I'm going, I'm healed. I'm believing even when it's not showing up yet. See, and, then, and so it says, one of them realizes, oh my gosh, it's working. And he turns around and he goes back and falls down on, on his knees and begins to cry out and give Jesus praise. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Y'all see that? Sozo. So then another one. Now let's get back to what we all thought it meant in the beginning because it does mean what we thought it meant in the beginning. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, there's a verse, but I'll, let me give you the backstory. There is a woman and it actually says, this woman was a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be written about in the Bible and be called a sinner? Well, let me tell you something. I don't know if you knew this or not, but every single one of us were. Somebody amen me on that. So if we listed me in the Bible, guess what it say? And Clay Bishop, the sinner, you know, and it, and it started, because that's what I was until he saved me. And these religious people saw this woman come in who was a sinner, just like you and I, and she was probably a prostitute. She had probably lived a pretty wild life back in the day. And she comes in and Jesus is sitting with these very cool religious people. You know, they wear, wear the suit and tie and stuff. Because, you know, if you don't wear a suit and tie, boys, I may quit your church if you're preaching without one. But, but the thing is, they come in, they're looking good. And they're not saying anything to Jesus, except they're just checking him out. This woman comes in, begins to weep at Jesus' feet, washes his feet with her tears and dries them off with her hair. Then she busts an alabaster box, a year's worth of wages. 
That's pretty, pretty good for anybody. A year's worth of wages. Busts it and begins to, to rub it on him. And the, and the Pharisees say, man, if he would have known who this woman was that was washing his feet, dude, she's a sinner. And Jesus begins to rebuke them and say, look, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. And you love little because you think you don't need to be forgiven at all. And, and all of a sudden he looks at this woman and he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, what kind of salvation are we talking about here? We're talking about being saved from the power of sin here. And she realized that her life was broken, that she had missed the meaning of life because she had went after other things thinking somehow they'd bring her pleasure and fulfillment. But she now believes that Jesus is the reason that she is alive and she's willing to spend everything to know Him and to worship Him. And she does that and He says, You see me rightly, your faith has saved your very soul, woman. You are saved by grace through faith. They believed. In Mark chapter 9, Matthew 17, there's a story. I want to be quick with this one. There's a story and, and this man, he has a boy. And this boy has been tormented by an unclean spirit. He's thrown into the water. He's thrown into the fire. And when he's thrown into the fire, he comes and... and, and and the disciples try to cast the demon out of this boy, but they can't do it. And the man finally says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I'm telling you, you all have known, I've known bad situations where we, and, and, and I've looked at it and I've warned God, if you can do anything, you see, you, you sense the doubt in that question, don't you? God, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. We're in that mode of begging because we see it such a difficult situation. And he says, he says in verse 9, 23 and 24, chapter 9, verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And then the next verse says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he's crying out and immediately the Lord comes by and he says, he says to his disciples, oh, you faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with this? And he speaks to the demon and the demon comes out and the boy is delivered. And the disciples are like, man, what's going on here that, that we couldn't do it even though Jesus had given us the authority? What's going on that we couldn't do it? And they, comes, they come to Jesus privately. And in the same story, in Matthew 17, verse 20, it says this. Let's read. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. He's saying you couldn't do it because of your unbelief. And he even goes on to say this kind comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting because there are times that we need to seek God just a little bit more. But he says it's not about having a great amount of faith. He said if you had, a fa if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, a mustard seed you could fit on the, on the tip of your finger and hold it just like that. But when it grows fully, it becomes one of the largest garden plants in the world. Now what is Jesus saying? He's saying sometimes faith starts very small. You know, we get envious of people's harvest, but we forget about the seed that they planted. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We see people's harvest and say, man, look at all these good things God or God's doing. And we think that it just sprouted up overnight. No, they planted a seed. They believed. They kept believing. They kept, stayed in scripture. They stayed in community. They kept praying. They fasted. They sought the Lord. They made declarations over their life. And they watched that thing begin to grow. And all of a sudden they had a harvest. And it was because they did not despise the day of small things. They said, I'm going to believe God with a small seed of faith. And I'm not looking at the 
the seed. I'm looking at the harvest in the future. Because sometimes you have to move beyond the seed and see the harvest. Where is this taking us? When we look at this church, man, there are so many things in our community and in our church and in our lives. And we look at it and it looks so small sometimes that we think, man, we might as well give this up. There's nowhere we're going. But if you look at this as a seed and you begin to see the end result, the harvest, man, it gives you faith to start to push forward. And he's saying that's what you've got to believe for. You've got to keep praying and you've got to not be lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now I'm going to finish right here because we know the one place that Jesus marveled first was when, was when he saw this centurion. He said, man, I've not seen so great faith in Israel. And he marveled because this man was willing to go beyond what even Jesus believed. He said, I'll come and heal him. He said, look, you only got to say the word. And Jesus marveled. He was astonished at this faith. But there was another place where Jesus marveled in the scripture. And it's in Mark chapter six, verse five and six. Jesus comes to his hometown and they look at Jesus. And as he's preaching, they say, man, who is this guy? He's got all this wisdom. He's got all this knowledge and he's and people are talking about how he's doing all these miracles. But hey, isn't this the boy that just grew up down the road and aren't his brothers and his sisters right here with us? And it says they were offended at him. They were offended at Jesus. And it says now he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Next verse says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching because I'm going to tell you something. The reason he went about teaching is because the only thing that is going to uproot unbelief is good biblical teaching. And he said, look, man, if I'm going to get these people to a place where they can believe, I'm going to have to go around here in a circuit and start teaching people. And that's why you need to get in a small group. That's why you need to come to lab nights. That's why when you come to church on Sunday, you don't sit back and do, uh, you take a note. You get in the word of God. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying, do you want to grow? Do you want to have faith? Do you want God to show up to your house and look at you and marvel because of your unbelief? Or do you want God to show up at your house and marvel because you're in his word, believing him for things that nobody else is believing him for in your whole community? When he shows up at your house, is he going to marvel and say, oh my Lord, they go to church every Sunday and they don't believe me for nothing. Or when they show up at your house, when he shows up at your house, is he saying, my Lord, oh my me, because he is the Lord, right? It's a good little joke, just squeezed it in there. They are believing me for something that is just beyond. And when he shows up, how's he going to marvel? See, the last point that I want to make is our faith determines how God acts and lives in our lives and our world. Our faith determines how God acts in our lives and in our world. God has made it so that we, his creation, participate with him. He's not just going to do everything that he wants to without the participation of his church. Matter of fact, it says that he has been raised up and seated in heavenly places and he has given all authority over to his church. We have to step into that place as his people to believe him for what he said he would do. In Ezekiel 22, it says, I looked for someone, I sought after somebody who would stand in the gap on me for behalf of the land. He said, but I found none. I found none. God is looking for somebody that's going to believe him, that's going to stand in the gap and say, all right, man, I'm going after this. Jesus taught a parable in Luke 18. He said, look, I want to teach you this because I'm telling you, you need to pray and believe me and never give up. Never give up. Don't lose heart. 
Just because you pray and it doesn't come to pass, continue to persist in prayer. And he teaches a parable about a woman who goes to this unjust judge and she's saying, avenge me of my adversary. The unjust judge says, no, I ain't going to do that. Get away from me, woman. I don't want to hear it. And finally, the judge says, look, I'm just going to go ahead and avenge this woman of her adversary. I'm going to bring justice into this situation because she is going to wear me out by continually coming to me. And he says, hear what this unjust judge is doing. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't love that woman. He doesn't love man. But he's going to do it because she's persistent. And he says, how much more will God not avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night? And he said, surely, he said, I'm telling you, God will avenge you speedily. He will answer your prayers if you will persist. You will see the breakthrough if you persist in faith. But this last verse is what gets me right in my heart. Luke 18, 8, Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I don't know about you, I read that this week and and it hit me in my stomach. Because... It's like this. It's like Jesus is saying, I know things are not good everywhere that you look. I know you've had bad things happen to you. I know not everything you have prayed for has come to pass. But I'm not looking for everything necessarily to come to pass. I'm looking for a person that even in difficult circumstances when things don't go their way, they continue to persist and believe me and they do not give up. He says, will I find somebody who is still believing, still praying, still seeking me for transformation in their life, still seeking me for transformation in others' lives. And even when they lose the battle from time to time and they see things and and, and they see bad things happen and bad things overcome them, they still go back to me and say, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. I remember, you know, that song, you know, that song, this just came to my mind, but it's a wonderful testimony. There's a song. He says, I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. Y'all ever heard that song? So there, the guy that wrote that, he actually wrote it after his baby had died. And, and I remember somebody talking about that one time and I was listening to that and I thought, man, that is, that is, It's just crazy. That's radical faith because you just prayed and your baby died. But yet, instead of getting bitter and going into just hiding and seclusion, you begin to write a song to God and you give thanks to God and you'd make the declaration just after your child died, I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. That's insane, isn't it? I imagine Jesus marveled when that young man wrote that song. I imagine he marveled because he said, man, this is a guy that's willing to believe me even when the worst happens. And I know that's a difficult thing, but I believe that's what God's calling us to. Amen. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself, what are you believing God for? Maybe, maybe the first thing you do need to believe him for is salvation. You need to believe him for forgiveness of sins and you've not given your life to Jesus. If that's you and you say, I want to do that now, I want to put my faith in the fact that Jesus died for my sins, his blood was shed for me, and I want to follow him, and I want to know that I'm saved. Would you lift your hand and let me know right quick? Just let me know as an act of faith. Just lift your hand. Anybody? I see one hand. Thank you. All right, now the next next group, here's what I want. What are you believing God for right now? And I know some of it, it looks like a mountain. It looks like it's impossible. It looks like it could never change. But God smiles when you believe Him. When you press through. And for some of you, you need healing in your heart because you've experienced such pain in a certain area that it's difficult to believe. But I believe Jesus is saying right now, I want to heal you in that area. 
where you've suffered loss or you've suffered pain so that you can believe me again for something. Now, I know everybody in here has got something to believe God for, so I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand for that. But here's what I am going to ask you to do. I want you to take a moment, whether you come to this altar and pray, whether you sit at your seat and you write down what you believe God for, I want you to hold on to that thing. I want you to write it down. I want you to hold on to it. I want you to persist in prayer. I want you to believe God. And I want you to say, God, I'm looking to see these mountains moved. Can you say amen to that just where you're at? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to open this altar. And I want everybody who will to come forward and pray. If you want prayer, I would love to pray with you. But I'm just asking for these next few minutes that you respond in faith to the Lord that you give Him what you're believing for and that we ask Him, God, we want to see you do miracles in these areas of our lives. We want to see you change something. God, help our unbelief. Help us to have faith. Father, we ask that right now in Jesus' name, that God, you would remove every ounce of unbelief that's in our hearts. And Lord, for the pain that we've experienced, the woundedness, God, because we've suffered from pain and sickness and loss and death and destruction and torment, All of those things, Jesus, just begin to heal our hearts and help us once again to look to You and look to Your Word to believe You for great things, God. To believe like the centurion believed. And Lord, we just speak a word of faith to these mountains right now that all these mountains, these obstacles, God, would be plucked up by their roots, that they would be removed and they would be cast into the sea, Lord. And God, no matter what happens, You're going to give us the strength to move forward in faith. No matter what we face, no matter what we see, we believe in you, Jesus. We believe that you're the God of miracles. We thank you for it. It's in your holy name we pray. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Listen, we're going to worship. And some of you, I want to, if if some of of the folks from our prayer team would just sort of move forward and hang out around here. Um, If you need prayer, I want you to ask somebody to pray with you so you can believe with them. If not, you can come pray by yourself. But if you want to pray back at your seat, that's fine too. Like I said, Write it down. Bring it to God. Let Him know what you're believing Him for. Just allow Him to stretch your faith this morning.